This is Matt Brown, and you're listening to Just a Good Conversation. Having money, saving money, investing money, all can be a challenge. I sit down with Eric Helmstetter, a partner at Odor Investment Management, to talk about that very thing. Having an advisor is a smart move when it comes to understanding how much money you're going to need in the future. If you can't sleep at night because you're thinking about your investments or what's happening with them, you're not doing it right. You need to be comfortable with what you're doing and be able to sleep at night knowing that you're going to be okay in any one circumstance. I'm Matt Brown, host of Just a Good Conversation. Take a listen to our archives. My guests have ranged from Olympic gold medal winners, cancer survivors, and photographer and podcaster, Michael Durr. You know, when you have those conversations, and that goes for people that are either in high school about to go in, or if you have your children now and you're having that discussion, it's like, yeah, like, sit them down and ask them what they really want to do. If they don't have an idea of what they want to do, and they want to figure it out in college, I think that time has passed. Maybe that was a safe mentality in 1988. Now that we've been through in the last 13 years, two different recessions, because significantly more people in the world or more market saturation, a realistic possibility that your return is going to be lessened. Go to justagoodconversation.com for all our archives. Let's take a quick break for a sponsor before diving into my conversation with Eric Helmstetter. I get expert advice today from Eric. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. <laughs> this, is a, this is a well needed uh, podcast with with talking about finances, retirement plan, where your money goes, how quickly things exit your wallet and go to somebody else. And you're the man of the hour to sit down and talk to. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Give, uh, Give me a quick rundown of why in the world you would get into the financial business. I became interested in finance because of my dad. My dad worked for Callaway Golf when it was a tiny little company, and he helped grow it into the essentially the biggest golf company in the world. Really? Yeah. And during that time, they did an initial public offering, an IPO, where they became a public stock. And there's a thing for executives at companies called friends and family, where they can give people some shares of the IPO. Right. He gave my sister and me um, 100 shares of Callaway stock from the opening. Now what year is this? This should be 90, 91. So how old are you? A little guy? 15, 16 years old. Now, do you even understand what he's doing for you? No idea. <laughs> all, That's great. All I know is the IPO was at $20 a share. Okay. So all I know is that we got $2,000, right, of Callaway stock. Sure. And he says, you can't sell it. Right? It's like, you, know, you just have to right. keep it. It's, it's here to grow. Okay. So over the next year or two, the stock does very well, and it doubles in value. So it's now trading at $40 a share, and they did what's called a stock split, where they cut the price in half, but they give you twice the shares. Mm -hmm. So now I have 200 shares of something that's $20 a share. And when that happened, I asked my dad, I'm like, hey, can I sell half of it? Because I just want to have 100 shares and buy something else with the other 100. And he's like, sure. So I called up the guy who was a Merrill Lynch advisor and said, hey, I want you to sell half my Callaway, and I want to buy some Microsoft. Because I use the computer every day. And it just seems like a cool company. And, you know, I want to invest in that. So the guy says, sure. So I now have 100 shares of Callaway. And then whatever the value of Microsoft was then. Next, Another year goes by. Essentially, same thing happens to both. They both do very well. And they both do stock splits. 
And so then I did the same thing where I sold half of both of them. And then I bought some other things. I don't even remember what I bought anymore. Now, are you looking at the Wall Street Journal, the LA Times, like business section, or are you just going off gut? Gut. Just things that I used. A teenager gut. Yeah. Because, you know, like the, there was an advice from the advisor that would say stuff like, buy stuff you know, or buy things that you use every day. Sure. So I was a kind of a computer geek teenager, you know, and then so I'm like, oh, that seems really cool. Or I use that model, like a Cisco router, something like that. I'll buy mm-hmm. some of that. And so I was doing that and it turned into being something where there was a fair amount of money for, you know, a kid that's now 19, 20, 21 years old. Um, so when I went to, uh, UCLA during the summers, I'd get internships at different places. Um, we went to like, you know, Paramount studios to try to look, see if I liked working movies, different things like that. One of them was an internship at Merrill Lynch in Santa Monica, uh, unpaid internship. Right. And just like, Hey, this is kind of cool. I made some money. Is it this easy? I want to learn more. <laughs> this is so easy. Yeah, exactly. You can just made money. That's so easy. Um, so yeah, worked at Merrill Lynch for a summer and, you know, learned a lot and saw how much depth there is to that whole industry and really enjoyed it. And then the following year I graduated and I got a call from the manager of that branch saying, Hey, I hear you're looking for a job. You know, you want to be my assistant and you can learn the business some more and then maybe eventually be an advisor or an analyst, something like that. And I needed a job, and it was kind of cool anyway, so I said yes. And here I am now, 23, 24 years later. Wow. <laughs> Holy wow. I mean, were, even as a kid, was there any kind of inkling, like, I like playing with money or the understanding of how it worked, or was it all truly, Eric, from the gut? It was all just from the gut. Um, I, I mean, I remember a class or two where you had, like, pick stocks or something mm-hmm. like that in school. And it never really intrigued me then for those classes right. or anything. It was just having that little bit of money that turned into a decent amount of money <laughs> and then the job and then the job offer I needed um, that really kind of got it. I'm like, oh, it's kind of cool to work you know, with money or you know, do things and connect with people. Um, did you pick any dogs? Um, I'm sure I As did. As a kid, like, was... No, I, I only ended up with like four stocks like, okay. that, like that and kind of kept them for a while. Um, now, unfortunately, I sold them eventually to buy my first house. Um, so the Microsoft is alone right now would be probably worth like a half a million dollars if I kept it. But right, you know. But the, every stock's like that. If you keep it, exactly, you know, you're just keeping it forever. Yeah. But it bought you a home. Exactly, and that's one of the things I was just going to say is you know there's priorities in life. You know, if you had known in hindsight that one little position would be worth a half a million dollars, you're like, oh my gosh, it's got to keep it. But you need to live in a home. And that also appreciated. So, you know, you, you just don't know in any one stock or position what's going to do great or not. Um, so, you know, the fact that I was able to use that to put a down payment on a home, um, that's the most important thing, I think, for the young person to be able to live their lives. Right. Wow. That is so in college, like you weren't leaning either way. It was just kind of like a feeling time in college. And then you found this and thought. Yeah, absolutely. I really absolutely. Enjoy this. Worked in the golf industry, did um, the you know Hollywood studios, right. did the investment thing. So I was just kind of just, what do I want to do when I grow up? Were you good with numbers? 
Um, pretty good with numbers. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah, sometimes they're like, oh, I'm a math whiz. I'm yeah. in finance. I, I, I'm not like that. So I was never looking at the pure analyst route. You know, mm-hmm. looking at every single number of an earnings report, n- nothing like that. More of a been feeling of a you know connection and talking with people and giving good advice and doing all that within the finance side. Wow. All right. So let's say, what advice do you give? You know people today we'll start with teenagers right mm-hmm. to, to invest what's a good idea you know starting from the ground both of us have young kids mm-hmm. like where do we what are we telling them the investing for teenagers part is a tough question um, and I don't have a great answer but I do have an idea that I'm doing more now is for teenagers you know most of them aren't working or if they're working it's so that they can go out and hang out with their friends right So the main thing is, or if a parent, like if we give our kids a credit card, whether it has a max or not, I think it's important for the kids to know how much they're spending. You know, my daughter's constantly saying, can I have Bobo with my friends? It's like, (laughs) sure, of course, that's no big deal, right? You don't even think about it. But it's smart for them to look at maybe at the end of a month or the year and say, look how much you spent on Boba or going out to lunch with your friends. And for them to see that at the end, it costs X hundred dollars, X thousand dollars. Thousands, yeah. Right. So, right? It all adds up. It's not each one, each payment is like, oh, it's tiny, $3.99. Right. Whatever like that. At the end, you're just like, well, you spent X thousand dollars over the course of the year. Yeah, if it's $30 a week and you... Right. Yeah. And then, so whether it's when it's time for them to get a job or when it's, you know, going to college to know that, hey, wait a minute, I do have this habit of spending this much money, so I need to make that and more to be able to save. So I think knowledge of how much you're actually sending out is, you know, important, especially when teenagers, most of them, you don't have jobs. Right. And and you do. So then they're like coming to the mailman and, you know, you're like coming, I need money right Mm -hmm. there. The ATM. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. When should you start thinking then about your retirement plan? Is it, is it ever too soon or is it, it's always too late? Yeah. Um, my mom told me when I was a kid that whenever you have your first job, make sure you contribute to your retirement plan. Okay. Um, so that always kind of just stuck with me. I don't know why she said it or I ended up in that business, <laughs> but I do the same because in my business, I do also work with uh, 401ks, 403bs, and retirement plans and setting them up for companies. Right. And I tell everybody, it's like the first thing you want to do is contribute to the plan as early as you can. And, you know, whether it's a dollar or a percent, you know, you just start putting money in so that the growth can just compound. You have 40, 50 years of growth. And if you work somewhere that doesn't have a retirement plan, there are the Roths, IRAs, different things where you can at least start putting money in immediately because you just have then decades of potential growth. It just grows in more and more and more. Right. And, you know, a lot of people are struggling, especially when they start. And the analogy some of us use is like, you know, seems like people go to Starbucks every single day and you buy the super big coffee that costs seven bucks plus the muffin or whatever like that. Mm-hmm. Even if you just made it a medium coffee or a small coffee and put those $3 a day into the retirement plan, next thing you know, when you're 50, 60, 70 years old, that's a lot of money. Right. You're, I mean, you're talking about half a million dollars is compounding. It can expand so quickly. Very quickly. It's like... There's something that says that if you save $20 a week and you put that, it's, you know, becomes 80 and that 80 becomes, it just, and just builds up. Exactly. That's massive. Yeah. And I have charts like that, that I work with all the time. Just so if you started booing, you know, I don't have the exact numbers, but like right. what you said, if you started doing saving 20 bucks a month 
at the age of 20 versus 40 bucks a month at the age of 30, the 20s, way more money. Sure. Even though you've doubled the amount 10 years later, you didn't have that 10 years of growth. Right. You didn't have the 10 years of time. Yes. That's the biggest thing. It's time. Mm-hmm. That's what I always try to explain to my kids. Like, it's all about time. Yep. Absolutely. So when you're that young, what's a safe place to put your money for the future? Is it a Roth? Is it a, you know, because most kids are going to start at like a, a burger place. They're mm-hmm. not going to have a 401k. Right. So where's a good place for them to start thinking long-term savings? The younger you are, the Roth is, I think, one of the best investment accounts ever created because that's where you take money that you've already been taxed on and then it grows 100% tax-free forever so that if you can put in money into a Roth at a young age, um, even though you've already been taxed on it, but you're probably being taxed at a lower level because you're not making very much at that point. Um, It's always a good question. People ask me all the time, when do I switch from putting Roth money into a regular pre-tax thing? And there's a lot of different answers for that. But time, (laughs) like you said, is the number one part of that equation. That If you have 30, 40, 50 years to put in, to be never be taxed on money that you that could be growing, that's that's the number one place. That's huge. Yeah. What about now? Let's say we're out of college. We're in our twenties. Mm-hmm. Things are starting to get real. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not making fifteen bucks an hour. You might be making forty, fifty thousand a year. Where do you start thinking about the future of savings? One thing I'll say that before I answer that, that is that I think is almost more important is especially in that age to not get into credit card debt. Oh, even yes. though I make my living on helping people with money with savings, with if I see someone that has, you know, 20 grand in credit card debt but they're saying, "Hey, should what I invest that with you?" I said, "No, pay off the credit card debt because those rates are almost always so much higher than what we could possibly make and it's consistent. Get rid of the credit card debt right off the bat and then once that's done, and if you have savings, then start thinking about you know Roths or four hundred one ks and things like that because that's the number one thing that. How can much be- of a villain is that credit card debt? It's dangerous. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's just a massive boulder over your head yeah. on a string. Yeah, and uh, everybody has needs that they need to do or things that arise. Sure. And it's nice to have that option to borrow money easily, but sometimes it's just too easy of a trap to just keep swiping your card and not realizing how much that. is going against you. Right. It's trapped. So we've cleared our debt. We've found a Mm -hmm. a smart 24-year-old girl. She's got no debt. What do you say to her? Max out your 401k as much as possible. (laughs) And and now, this is, I mean, this is somewhat new, but 401ks, most companies now also have a Roth 401k. It's the exact same thing, but there's a Roth feature. So again, that money is after-tax money but then it grows tax-free. So that's something that's you know a great place to be putting money in if you're working and that plan's available. Right. Um, and then when you're in your 20s, then if you have a finite amount of savings that you have, it is always good to have some money saved elsewhere, whether it's just a savings account, a money market account, in case you want to buy that house sure. or you want to take that trip, right? I always say don't put your eggs in one basket. Even the retirement 401k is one basket right? because it's hard to get that money out. So you want to be able to have some liquidity for whatever the other thing is. Is uh, For people who are going to ask this question, listen to this podcast, driving down the road, you work at 
company A, you got a 401k with them. Mm-hmm. You leave and you go to company B because you know the kids today, they jump around like hotcakes. Yep. Can they keep that 401k or, or can they bring it with them or how do they exchange that and move that around? Uh, you can definitely take the 401k from company A with you to, four, to company B. Okay. Absolutely. And that's what I generally recommend. A lot of times people forget about 401k from company A and they just lose it or the company will sometimes just send them a check back. Okay. So things can get lost or, you know, or they just take the money and then you get taxed on and taxed and penalized on it. Oh, so if you have a new plan, roll that money into the new plan is generally what I advise. Okay. Um, that's just a, a smart way to go, especially if they're smaller amounts. You know, you don't want to have to have two logins for two 401ks when you don't even work at the com- right. one of the companies. It doesn't help you that much. Right. Because, I mean, <clears throat> this generation, they're jumping. Mm-hmm. Like, if you looked at their LinkedIn page, it's like page three, page four. I mean, they're just jumping around a lot. So it's, it's, it's smart to keep your 401k where you're at. Plus, you also have a better sense of, I believe, that you know how that company's going. Mm-hmm. If you've left eight years ago and that company A and now you're at company J, you don't know if that business is taking a crapper and there goes the 401k with it. Yeah, and it obviously depends what the money is invested in at the original company, but it gets lost. Or if you have to track down your old HR number, and do, <laughs> it's just a huge, massive loss of time that I'm sure your peop, most people are too busy for. When, when you set up the new one at the new job, there's paperwork right there. Just bring it over, get it done once, um, and then it's just so much easier to track and to look at. Right. If you want to rebalance a 401k or change the investments, whatever it is, it's easier if it's all in one place versus, oh, I should go to the old company and rebalance there and the <laughs> right. new one and which one and my IRA. And then it'll just get lost and it's not efficient. Yeah, that's no good. You don't want to do that. When, when and how much should they be investing? Is there, a, is there a number or is it a like a lifestyle kind of? I think it's a lifestyle. Um, it's you want to put in as much as you can, right? Sure. But there's So there's no quite right answer for that, but putting it in and putting it in consistently, um, and sometimes it's just a percentage. It's like, well, put in you know 2% or 3%, mm-hmm. um, and then live your life for a couple of months and see, are you still saving money or not? Um, and then I'm going to interrupt myself by saying there is one other huge caveat to that. A lot of 401k companies have a match, where right. the company puts in money. Some don't. I don't know what the percentage is. I'd say it's probably around 50-50. Um, but some companies will say, hey, if you put in $500 a year into your 401k, we'll match it and give you $500. So then my advice is put at least $500. Or if it's 1500 or 5000 whatever right. that number that they're going to give you, put in that much. Because otherwise, someone's giving you free money. Sure. If you see $1,000 on the ground, you're going to take it. Right? This company is rewarding you for working there <laughs> and giving you free money for retirement. So you should do the same instead of just saying, I'll just take the free $100. No, take the free $1,000. Yeah. Um, and if you work there that long enough, that money is yours. So definitely max out the match and then see how if you should be putting in more. Right. My, like my company does that. They max a percentage and they max to a certain point. Mm-hmm. And I remember I've been there four years now and sitting around and we had a financial guy come in and talk about the 401k program and everything and these kids are all very young they're in their 20s and they had no understanding of what it was and I kind of explained it as it's like your parents giving you an allowance just 
take as much as you can from them, match it, put it in, and just save it away, and it's going to be there forever. Mm-hmm. It's like it's the absolute best thing. It's the absolute best thing. Company Finding a company that will have that match for you is just a huge benefit. Right. And the scary thing is like myself in the creative field, I have a lot of freelance friends that don't have this option, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're 1099 guys, and they don't have matching companies and stuff. So when you're at that age in your 20s and 30s and you don't have a 401k, where should you be looking then to sock it away? There's a in terms of the retirement plan side, there's lots of options, whether it's like I said before, a regular IRA okay. or a regular Roth, like you can open up at banks or institutions or Schwab. So you know, go any of those there. those kinds of places. There's also if you're self employed, there's other plans that aren't called four oh one K. There's a, a SEP, a simple, there's just lots of different plans where you can put more than what the maximum is on an IRA or a Roth. Um, those limits keep going up, which become a lot easier. <laughs> it used to be $2,000. So like, what's the point? Yeah, um, right. But it's um, been there a lot higher numbers now. But those are the different places to, you know, types of accounts that you can open. Right. So, okay, now we're in our 30s. Mm-hmm. We, we live in a condo. We got a first kid. We got a dog. Where do we start saving there? It's almost the same answer because you want to keep putting into your retirement plan, um, but they also are your expenses are probably a lot yeah, higher. Right, yeah, right. So most, I would say most people in their 30s can't save a ton. You know, what, I, what happens I see a lot is they're still putting in money from their 20s in their 401k or Roth 401k, um, but they've kept that number the same for a while because okay. their expenses have gone up so much with the mortgage and the kids and everything like that, and right? That all the other ex- bill. Exactly. <laughs> all those expenses have to go to family. And you do need to live your life first, right? We want to retire with millions of dollars. But if you're struggling and having a horrible life in your 30s, then... What's you know, the point of having a million point? dollars? You won't see it. Exactly. <laughs> you have to be smart about both sides, mm-hmm. right? You can't just be going, going around eating every single night and taking trips on first class because you have it and not saving anything. Um, so there is a little bit of give and take. Um, but again, it's generally the same answer. I'm like, hey, make sure you're still putting in money into your retirement plans or a savings account. Um, in case there's an emergency, you should always have three to six months of savings, not in a retirement plan in case you get laid off or there's an emergency or something like that happens. And then if you have all that and still more extra, great, you know, open an investment account and then start investing there. Right. Is there, I know this is silly, but is it ever too late to start investing? Like, are you like, oh, I'm 65, it's too late. I don't think so, because if you're 65, maybe you're going to live to 95 or 105 these days. Right. Um, that's 40 years of growth. Um, and if it's, you know, you should always be putting in. And, you know, if it's, then if you do have a family, if you're 65, 75, you're like, well, what's the point? I'm going to die soon. Well, maybe you're investing for your kids or for charity or, you know, 20 years of growth for right. something that then you give it to another institution. That's great, too. So if you have excess savings, um, it's always be good to be investing in something that can earn some interest. You know, there's too much cash in banks earning zero. Right. Um, where there's right. so many places, whether it's super aggressive or a little more conservative, um, to put money in. It's right. The old analogy is be aggressive young, be conservative older, right? Because mm-hmm. you're in your 20s, you can afford to take the... The bad pick. I mean, obviously, you haven't had any bad picks when you were a kid. But if you would have taken Microsoft and it fell into the trash, mm-hmm. you would have been okay. 
Right. Absolutely. Exactly. You know, you would have survived and, you know, kept holding on to your, yeah. your golf chips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I've, and I've seen it many times where there's been so many crises and bad markets like we're in now where people kept the one thing. I know an old client that never sold their Bank of America stock and they had like $600,000, $700,000 of Bank of America stock with its 4% dividend that they just lived on. And they're like, well, that's too much money. You have all your money in one place. It's Bank of America. It's not going to go anywhere. 2008, it almost disappeared. Oh. So, And they cut their dividend. So, you know, bad things can happen if you're too concentrated in any one thing. Right. Yeah. What's it like? You should never have 20% in one field, right? Or something like that, where you should like, if you got one part in like, you know, aviation, Boeing or United or something like that. And mm-hmm. you should have something in tech, but you shouldn't have 90% in tech. Yeah. You don't want to have all, all your eggs in one basket again. Yeah. Just like that. Now there's also different buckets that I call to for investing in the like, basket. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because in, you can have, let's say your aggressive portion. Like I want to hit home runs with X dollars and you want to do that. Then that can be all in tech. Right, it's, it, it, everything doesn't have to be always diversified, but you just want to make sure that it's not all of your money yeah. everywhere <laughs> in the aggressive tech bucket or whatever the industry is. Right, so you can be concentrating in one area, but please make sure that there's <laughs> other things that can you know help you if things go down. Yeah, listen to Eric and your advisor, please. <laughs> Do not put all your eggs in that basket. So, what's the long term? What should, when people are looking long term and thinking about the long term game, what should they be thinking about? Is it, you know, um, okay, I'm trying to get to two million dollars by the time I'm seventy for retirement, and you know, if you live in like we do in LA, that's not a lot of money. But if you live in the middle of northern Arizona. You know, Utah, that's a good savings. I was going to say exactly what you were going to say. Here in L.A., that number is very, very different than in most parts right. of the world. Mississippi, yeah, most yeah. parts of the world, yeah. right, sure. Exactly. So I never say that, and I get that question a lot, like, how much do I need? And I always have to flip the question. It's like, well, how much are you spending? Or how much do you want to spend? Mm-hmm. Right. Right? I mean. What's your lifestyle in 70? Exactly. And, you know, again, here in L.A., there's a lot of people that spend a half a million dollars a year and they can afford it, so they do. Where a lot of other places, it's like $50,000 would be great mm-hmm. to spend in retirement a year. Then you have Social Security and maybe a pension or whatever it is. So the number is always dependent on how much you think you're going to spend and the lifestyle that you want. Right. And that's what, as a financial planner, an investor, I have software that we run those numbers. It's like, okay, let's assume you live to 95 and you need $50,000 a year. What should that and we earn 3%. Let's, I always try to go conservative and say 2 3 4%. How much do you need? And then here's a scenario where if we earn 7% on that, how much more you have or 1%, how much less you have. So right, And you have to review that from time to time um, and look at it all about, it's all about the spending. Right. How much of that too is location, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. right? You know, li- living in Carmel, California and living in Mobile, Alabama or Mississippi or where much different cost of living. And these days, so many people with the whole remote and everything else, people are selling their homes and moving somewhere else. And then now they have a whole lot more liquid money that they can live on and lower expenses by moving to other places. 
Uh, you know, the weather in Los Angeles is fantastic, but the taxes are really high. So, we, you know, we get... I was waiting for the butt. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the butt's the taxes, right? <laughs> right, absolutely. And then, you know, selling your home in California and moving somewhere else is, is silly, the cost of what we could sell our house for. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it could pay for most people's retirement for a million-dollar home what we could sell for. Yeah, I know so many people that have done that in the last year and a half. It's just, it's amazing how often that story is heard. I, I read a story where a woman's an accountant and her and her husband are retiring and living on cruise ships. They lived up in Seattle and she did the numbers and that they can retire living on cruise ships cheaper than it would be living in their house in Seattle. Well, that's something. I don't think I could be on a cruise ship. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, you're not old enough yet to be <laughs> 65 and decided that's a good idea. What? Okay, so what are some do's and don'ts then for investing for the young? Um, so a don't is if you're investing in, let's say your company 401k is you look at all the options and then there's usually 20 to 30, 40 different options glaze over and say, I'm going to do this later because I don't know what any of that stuff is. Um, most plans are supposed to have an advisor, but they don't always have to have an advisor and the, your employer isn't supposed to give you any advice. It's illegal, actually. Okay. So a lot of people get that glazed over look. It's like, I have no idea what to put this in. And so I would say don't, let, don't be daunted by that. The, one of the new trends over the last, again, 10, 15 years is something that's called target date funds, where it's a, a mutual fund, a group of investments that has a date on it. That date usually corresponds with when you might want to retire. So if you're, you know, right now you want to retire in 50 years, it's the 2070, the 2075, something like that fund. So these funds are more aggressive, far away from that date, and they become gradually more conservative and they reallocate every year. So they can become more and more and more conservative as you approach your retirement date, just so that there isn't a crazy crash or a horrible bear market when you need that money. It's much more conservative. And that's where most retirement money is going in these plans because it's an easy way to invest smartly and have someone else managing the money and be putting it in so then if you don't know anything about investments or you don't have anyone to ask, you can put it there and most of them are solid. There's great ones and there's medium ones, but they're almost all dependable and better than nothing place to put it. What And so what's the do's and don'ts? What's the other side of that then? So, so yeah, don't be daunted and do is, you know, put it in, put it in, yeah, put don't, it, just don't be stupid, yeah. put it in. Yeah. And don't, and the other don't is think that you know more than you know, right? The, you know, everyone says, well, the stock market's too high. Um, I don't want to put money in right now, right? I'm just going to wait a couple of years because right. the market's too high. Well, if you look at any five, 10, 15, 20 year time period, things do well, there's growth. And different companies do well and different companies don't do well. But in a basket or a mutual fund or an index fund, you don't want to time the market. Don't time the market. Put in the money every month uh, from your paycheck and just do it over time. If you happen to have five years or three years of a really bad market right when you started, that's okay because you're not retiring now. You know, maybe you could time it perfectly if you knew, but no one has that crystal ball. And everyone says they do. It's like Vegas. Everybody wins in Vegas except all those lights are flashing every day. Um, No one talks about when they lose money heavily in the stock market or timed it poorly. It's like you just want to be consistent and put the money in all the time and don't get scared by 
the news and the Wall Street Journal, the market crashed a thousand points. These things happen. Um, they also do really well over time. Good brands just do well over time. Right. And, and what's interesting, too, is everybody always looks at the market as a whole of all. But two years ago, maybe your United or Southwest stock is plummeting, but your Pfizer stock is going through the roof. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's always someone going up as someone's going down. So there's other elevators to catch on to in the market. Yeah, absolutely. What when people say, oh, the stock market, it's so scary uh, as a kid. Like, I don't even know where to look at. Is there a good place? Do you have any like, oh, start here, look at this website, read this book to kind of get your feet wet in the, scare, the stock market not being a scary monster? I don't have actually a go-to place, but I will say that most of the investment places, which is, you know, um, probably Robin Hood, but Charles Schwab, Merrill Lynch, right. Morgan, all of them have lots of, and even your 401k provider will have materials that talk about what happens over the long term or reasons to invest, reasons to be consistent and things like that. You know, the um, the news places, the CNBCs, the market watches of the right. world, they're trying to get eyeballs. So they're going to sure. have the craziest headline right up front. So I don't think that's as good of a place yeah, to no, learn. No. Yeah, not at all. I mean, I wish they were teaching this in school and making it more readily available and not the scary monster because if kids can learn this early like you said with the credit card debt and how the market works and saving for the future people would be so much better off more immediately in their 20s and 30s than trying to like clean up messes in their 50s and 60s mm-hmm. it's not that hard yeah and the investing game is also emotional no one thinks that money is you know going up or down is emotional but it really is on both sides when when things are going down, you become very fearful. Right. You're like, I don't want to lose more money, which obviously nobody wants to lose more money. So you're like, I just want to get out until things are stable. The flip side of that is when things are going up consistently, people get greedy. Like, well, I don't want to sell anything right now. We're making tons of money. So like, let's put more in. So both of those emotions are completely wrong. You want to be start getting a little bit more conservative and taking chips off the table as things go really big up. Or, and then when things are going really down, you know, you want to be putting in more. Now, this talk, this means for like index funds, mutual funds, you know, things that are baskets of things. Mm-hmm. Any one stock can go to zero. Sure. You know, a, any one Tesla can go to $1,000 a share, you know, like that. So anything can happen on any one direction with an individual company. But when you're talking about, you know, large cap stocks, you know, the, you know, the, back, the background of, um, you know, the entire investing in the U.S., you know, as a whole, that should do very well over time. And there's going to be lots of ups and downs. Um, but you, you know what they say, buy low, sell high. Right. Things are going up, take a little bit off. I'm not saying sell all of it, but take, you made 20%. Take your 20% gain. And maybe you put that somewhere else. Um, and if it goes down 20% and you have allocation from 20% you made somewhere else, put it in there. And then over time, then you take advantage of the volatility. Boy, I wish you were with me at the track on Sunday. I could have used that advice. <laughs> uh, the 27 bucks I won, I just went away. Right, right away. Uh, it worked for you as a kid. Like You had this crazy gut notion to like invest in what you were utilizing, whether it was the golf clubs with your dad's company, and then uh, you decided Microsoft was something, and you know, what do you tell them now? Does that still apply today? Like if you're using it, if you want to drive a Tesla, you admire a Tesla, invest in Tesla, or are you saying, kind of look around, don't 
always overwhelm yourself with what you love. I think it's good to actually be invested in the brands that you use. Um, Again, you should need, if you're buying individual things like that, you want to be diversified. But, you know, if you were an Amazon Prime customer 10 years ago when they introduced it and you're starting to buy everything from Amazon and it's this small company, (laughs) that might be a good place to call your person or like, hey, put in an investment of whatever percent of your portfolio that you can do it and say, I want to use that because I buy that. I remember, especially way back when I started, um, Best Buy were around, <laughs> but but you could never park at a Best Buy, never, right. because they're they're always crowded. And one of my clients one time said, "Hey, I can't ever park at Best Buy." It's like, do you think that's a good stock? And that's always a tough question because it could be really expensive at the time or the earnings are. But if you use something consistently, you can see that other people are also using it all the time. Maybe it is a good time to you know, still assess the numbers, but that's a good thing to perhaps buy. If you shop at Costco all the time and Costco's are always full, maybe that's a good thing to buy. And it can be something new, too. Right. I, I had a client who paid for his Tesla with Tesla stock because he believed in it. <laughs> um, you know, it's uh, things like that. And he keeps buying. He's like, I, I see more Teslas on the street every single day. He's like, I, so I'm going to keep it and I want to buy more. Um, and you know, those kinds of things like that. So, you know, if you're going to start buying individual companies or brands and things like that to invest in a great place to start, especially if you don't have someone else doing it for you is looking at the things that you believe in and you think are doing really well. Right. Cause you, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Tell me, slap me in the head, but you are investing in the business, not in the stock, right? I mean, that's really it. You can look at the numbers of the stock, but is the business something that you think is going to have growth. Yeah, absolutely. You want to be investing in the business. You're buying the stock, obviously, but you want to do it for also then, call it the long term. It can be a year, three, four, five. Right. But, you know, Amazon stock dropped 30% so far this year at one point. Their business is bigger than ever, Mm -hmm. right? So the real world and the short-term stock market don't always correspond. But if you still believe in their business and you're buying stuff from them and they're still taking over, <laughs> then you maybe buy more or you hang on to your shares because you didn't buy it to trade it. The day trading thing, a lot of people say it works. It usually works only when the market's going straight up. And <laughs> in the year 2000, there are a lot of day traders that disappeared. And then this year there, or last year, there's a whole lot of Robin Hood people who are making a lot of money. Those are washing out. Those guys are disappearing fast too. Sure. Um, so you can do it and you can be successful, but the in mass day trading thing generally doesn't work and also leads to a lot of taxes. Yeah. Yeah. It, the tax man does get you into the end on that. That's what everybody always kind of forgets. Yeah. The boy, want, the government always wants its peace. No if, ands, or buts about it. Yeah. So when you're investing, how do you advise your you know, clients with dealing with taxes, right? Because that's something that people forget. At the end, you are making money and there is somebody that wants a handout. Yeah, absolutely. It's <laughs> Nobody likes paying taxes, but I've always said if oh, you're I paying it. taxes. I love it, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're paying taxes, that means you've been successful, okay. right? You're making, I mean, whether it's salary or investments have gone well, right? It'd be nice to not have to give that away, um, especially like we said in, here in California where it's very, very high. But... It means you've been successful. So don't let taxes guide what your investment policy is. Just because you have a stock that is now that Bank of America that I talked about, I can't sell it. There's too much taxes. Well, losing half of it 
is a lot more than the potential tax hit. You know, you would have paid 20% tax versus losing 50% in the position. That's more dangerous. So it's just smart to sometimes just pay the tax um, by selling something. For the investment side outside of retirement plans, I try to also, like if you have losses, you can sell something at a loss and buy something else and then offset some taxes. Um, especially with mutual funds or index funds, you can sell something and buy something else that's almost identical, but you still have a loss on the books to offset any kind of gains. So there's a lot of ways to minimize that, you know, the gain right. if you have a lot of it. And so that's part of my November and December usually. <laughs> and that's why you're the expert. <laughs> what, okay, so how regularly should you be reviewing your investment plan? Is that a yearly thing? Like you want to sit down every year? Is it every six months, every five years? Like what's a good idea to keep your eyeballs on it? As an investment plan, that's an excellent question. It's probably, I'd say, five years is smart okay. unless there's an event, right? A birth, a death, a, you know, it's, it's tragic, or right. something like that. Something big something to the family. Big, right. Then you want to reassess that kind of thing. You don't want to be changing your investment plan every six months. Um, if you're looking at your investments and you're just, you know, you're letting someone else do it or mm -hmm. whatever like that, look at your investments quarterly. At, at least take a look and assess or ask questions. Right. That you want to pay a little bit more attention to in case there's a change you want to make. But as an overall plan change, yeah, you don't want to be changing your plan every year. Um, that's just, you know, you'll never actually have a long-term plan that right. way. Right. It's no good. You're always cutting it short, right, under the legs. Yeah. So when you're, let's say you're in your 20s, Right. We beat my new bride and I, we have no kids. We're going to do the apartment thing for the while. We're looking long-term, 50 years. We're going to follow all of your plans that you say, put enough in, both of us have 401ks, everything goes. In the end, right, we're trying to get to what's comfortable. We've decided we're not living in Santa Monica. We're going to move to one of the states in the middle where... Life is a lot slower and costs a lot less. When we want to take that stuff with us and we're doing it, is it going to come out for us like we want to say every month we want $4,000 like dumped into our checking account and that comes out of our investments so we can now live like, a, like, a, like it was our job paying us? Is that how you should be looking at it? I think that makes sense, yeah. And stretching it beyond the, you know, the 2030s example is when – when you've had that, say, that 401k now for 40, 50 years, and you have a million dollars in it, for my clients that are now retired or doing things like that, that's exactly what we do. It's like, all right, how much do we want to take out of this? And so we can have an, an IRA account with that balance and direct deposit, essentially, $5,000 a month into their checking account mm -hmm. and just automate it. So I, now I know exactly what the outflow is and what they need to live and doing it that way. So you can make that for any age, but it's probably more prevalent that it's when you're not working anymore that you'll start needing that money, that income. Right. And then directly putting it directly into the account. They spend their $5,000 a day, you know, a month budget, and we just keep sending it in and then review how the balances are working out. And hopefully life is good. Yes, and hopefully life is good. <laughs> Do you have any other like brilliant advice from a UCLA grad that you can part on people to just kind of get them comfortable in the world of investing and retirement, thinking about their retirement? I have no great pearls of wisdom, <laughs> but 
You don't have a T-shirt or a mug you've got with something. The pyramid of success in my office. Yes, it's, no, written but, by John Wooden. But. Exactly. If it's too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true. There's so many investments that I see where you're guaranteed 12% and you can't lose and it's completely liquid and everything like that. And it's it's you've got to do a lot of legwork and there's somebody's making money on something like that. The cartel that. can't give you that kind of return. Exactly. <laughs> but I see stuff like that every year. They're, they're, if you know, Do your homework if it's something like that. If somebody, if your buddy has, or can't lose money on this, you know, but just be careful. Do your homework. Do your legwork to see what's out there. Um, you can invest in things that do amazing, whether it's you know a company that you want to invest in that eventually goes IPO and you become a billionaire right. or like that. But there's just as many that go, or probably a whole lot more that go to zero. Whole lot more. Yeah. So be, being really careful. And with the internet now, I mean, with Google, the research is so easy. I Even I research all the time, you know, what kind of retirement plans are out there just because there's a lot of different things. And then go to worthwhile sites and read about it. You know, if they're not trying to sell you a product, especially, look into it and then correspond that with something else. There's a, it's easy to do research these days. Uh, don't listen to what someone says just because they tell you. Right. And that's actually a double-edged sword of the advantage we have today. There's so much research we can do, but then there's also much, so much more bad re, you know, stuff right. out there. Yeah. So like when my father, your father, like when they were talking to their investment guys, it was pamphlets and sit down face-to-face. Mm-hmm. Now you're like, ah, oh, I just sit there and Google all day long, and you're like, oh, my God, this is a lot of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my God, where are we going? <laughs> Another big thing to look at is, and it's become much more popular to look at in disclosure, to look at the costs, the fees. You know, there are a lot of fees in the industry have come down a lot, which is a great thing. But just because something costs, you know, a half a percent doesn't mean it's too expensive. People have been only looking at index funds that cost 0.01%. It can't be necessarily that great of an investment if there's no cost to it. There's someone's making money somewhere or you're losing a benefit. Mm-hmm. So look at that. And if someone says, oh, this thing costs 3%, that's a lot these days you know between one percent is probably the maximum or unless you're getting a real benefit out of it Um, so look at the cost and understand it and if you think it's too high or too low ask the question why is it zero why is it one and a half and then the the answer should then guide you whether it's worth it or not yeah i mean a lot of it you, you said it subliminally a lot ask a lot of questions don't be afraid to ask your guy or get a guy and ask and sit down and be like okay what are we doing what's the plan yeah, I mean, that's why this guy's got all the knowledge and you're trying to figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. Ask for the advice. Well, I can't thank you for your time and all this advice. It's been great. I hope some people at least pick this up and buy some stock and figure it out and start saving some coin. Get rid of that credit card debt, right? Absolutely. That's a monster. You yep. don't need that. Slay that bastard. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, from there, you know, people are, are, are better off and, you know, you, I'm sure, can see this. When people save and they know that their future is more secure, they're going to be better, and, and they're not going to be all stressed about it, and they're easygoing, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Be smart. You know, ask the questions. And actually, one of the things you just said is another thing that I say often. If you can't sleep at night because you're thinking about your investments or what's happening with them, 
you're not doing it right. You need to be comfortable with what you're doing and be able to sleep at night knowing that you're going to be okay in any one circumstance. Right. So, I mean, that's kind of the best thing is that you don't want to be going to bed at night going, oh, we're going to do this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Eric, thanks for your time. This has been awesome. Absolutely. Happy to be here. I, I, I think I, I learned something. <laughs> you're the best. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. All right. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Eric Helmstetter. If you enjoyed the episode, please click the like button and become a subscriber to the podcast. Remember, you can follow the Just Good Conversation podcast on Instagram, and you can find all of our past shows on the website at justagoodconversation.com. Thank you for listening.